Chapter 10 of Andrew the Glad by Maria Thompson Davies. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Love's Home and Andrew Severe. And the Sabbath quiet which had descended on the frost jeweled city the morning after the hunt found the Buchanan household still deep in close shuttered sleep. Their fatigue demanded and was having its way in the processes of recuperation and they all slept on serenely only caroline dara was astir with the first deep notes of the early morning bells her awakening had come with a rush of pure bubbling unalloyed joy which had turned her cheeks the hue of the rose starred her eyes and melted her lips into heavenly curves in her exquisite innocence it never dawned upon her that the moments spent in andrew's arms under the winter moon were any but those of rapturous betrothal and her love had flowered in confident happiness it was well that she caught across the distance no hint of the battle that was being waged in the heart of andrew severe for the man in him fought for her with what he deemed his honour almost to the death but not quite for some men hold as honour that which is strong sinewed with self-control red-blooded with courage infiltrated with pride and ruthlessly cruel and so caroline hummed david's little serenade to herself as she dressed without annette's assistance and smiled at her own radiance reflected at her from her mirrors she had just completed a most ravishing church toilet when she heard the major's door close softly and she knew that now she would find him before his logs awaiting breakfast she blushed another tone more rosy and her eyes grew shy at the very thought of meeting his keen eyes that always quizzed her with such delight after one of her initiations into the sports or gaieties of this new country but assuming her courage with her prayer-book she softly descended the stairs crossed the hall and stood beside his chair with a laugh of greeting well he demanded delightedly though in a guarded tone with a glance up as if at mrs matilda's and phoebe's closed doors did you catch your possum yes that is no i didn't but somebody did i think she answered with delicious confusion in both tone and appearance carolyn dara demanded the major do you mean to tell me that there is no certainty of anybody's having got a result from a foray of the magnitude of that last night didn't you even see a possum no i didn't but i know they caught some david said so answered caroline in a reassuring voice caroline again demanded the major relentlessly having already had his suspicions aroused by her confusion and blushes where were you when david kildare caught those beasts that you didn't see one i was was lost she answered and it surprised him that she didn't put one rosy fingertip into her mouth so very young was her further confusion alone the major made his demand without mercy no sir with mr sevier why aren't you going to have breakfast major it is almost church time and caroline rallied her domestic dignity to her support as she escaped toward tempe's domain and the flush of joy that had flamed in her cheeks had lighted a glow in the major's weather-tanned old face and his eyes fairly snapped with light could it be that the boy had reached out for his atonement could it be 
he heard the front door close as the first church bell struck a deep note and at that moment jeff announced his breakfast as ready in a voice of the deepest exhaustion and when caroline emerged from the still darkened house into the crisp air she found andrew severe standing on the front steps waiting to walk into church with her her smile of shy joy as she held out her hand to him warmed his sombre eyes for the moment they are all asleep she whispered as if even from the street there was danger of awakening the tired hunting party the major is keeping it quiet for them and you ought to be asleep too he answered as they started off at a brisk pace down the avenue you weren't she laughed up at him and then dropped her eyes shyly i always go to church she added demurely and i suppose i counted on your habit he said utterly unable to control the tenderness in voice or glance i wanted you to go with me to-day i hoped you would though you never have she answered him with a divine seriousness in her lifted eyes they are all coming to dinner and then you'll go to the office so i hoped about this morning she was utterly lovely in her gentleness and a strange peace fell into the troubled heart of the man at her side and it followed him into the dim church and made the hour he sat at her side one of holy healing once as they knelt together during the service she slipped her gloved hand into his for an instant and from its warmth there flowed a strength of which he stood in dire need and from which he drew courage to go on for the few days remaining before his exile just to protect her he prayed and leave her unhurt and he failed to see that the humility and blindness of a great love were leading him into the perpetration of a great cruelty to the undoing of them both then in the long days that followed so hunted was he by his love of her that that one hour of peace in the sunday morning was all he dared give himself with her and in her gentle trustfulness it was not hard to make his excuses for the monday morning brought the strenuosity in the career of david kildare to a state of absolute acuteness to the candidate the three days were as ten years crowded into as many hours down at his headquarters in the gray picket rooms he stood firm and met wave after wave of fluctuating excitement that surged around him with his head up a ring in his laugh and an almost superhuman tact as late as wednesday noon there appeared before him three excited anti-saloon league matrons with plans to put committees of ladies at all the polls to hand out lemonade and entreaties perhaps threats to the voters as they exercised their civic function they had planned banners with shall the saloon have my boy in large letters thereon inscribed and they were morally certain that without the carrying out of their plan the day would be lost it took david kildare one hour and a quarter to persuade them that it would be better to have a temperance rally at the theatre on wednesday night at which each of the three should make most convincing speeches to the assembled women of the city thereby furnishing arguments to their sisters with which to start the men to the polls the next day he promised to come and make a short opening speech and they left him with their plans changed but their enthusiasm augmented david sank into a chair and mopped his shining brow the major had been witness to the encounter from the editorial desk and cap cantrell was bent double with laughter behind a pile of papers he was searching for data for andrew i'm all in major said david faintly just pick up the pieces in a basket david sir said the major 
your conduct of that onslaught was masterly if the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world why not the hand that flips the batter cake rock the ballot box cradle out of date that's a little mixed but uh, pertinent i'm for letting them have a try they're only crying because they think we don't want em to have it maybe they'll go back to the cradle and rock all the better for being free citizens and not a cussed one of those three old lady cats has ever shown a kitten exploded cap from behind his pile of papers anyway the worst is over now must be answered david as he began to read over some bulletins and telegrams but he had troubles yet to come in the next two hours he had a conference with the head of the chamber of commerce which heated his blood to the boiling point and brought forth an ultimatum delivered in no uncertain terms but with such perfect courtesy and clean-sightedness that the gentleman departed in haste to look into certain matters which he now suspected to have been cooked to lead him astray this event had been followed by the advent of five of the old fellows who had obtained furloughs and ridden in from the soldiers home for the express purpose of assuring him of their support as the vindicator of their honour wringing his hand and cheering on the fight they retired with cap into the back room and emerged shortly beaming and refreshed they had no votes to cast in the city but what matter on their heels mike o'rourke rushed in with two budgets of false registrations which he had been able to ferret out by the aid of the drivers of his grocery wagons he embraced david exchanged shots with the major and departed in high spirits then quiet came to the gray picket for a time and kildare plunged into his papers with desperation david called the major after a very few minutes of peace here's a call for you on the desk you'll recognize the number remember a firm hand sir a firm hand with which he collected his hat coat and the captain and took his departure leaving david for the moment alone in the editorial rooms he sat for a few moments before the receiver and twisted the call slip around one of his fingers in a moment the affairs of state and the destiny of the city slipped from his shoulders and his mind took up the details of another problem the contest for the judgeship was not the only one david kildare had taken upon himself the second was being waged in the secret chambers of two hearts one proud exacting and unconvinced the other determined and at last thoroughly aroused phoebe had brought the crisis on herself and she was beginning to realize that the duel would be to the death or complete surrender and in the preliminaries which had been begun on the saturday night hunt and carried on for the last three days david kildare had failed to make a single false move his natural and inevitable absorption in his race for the judgeship had served to keep him from forcing a single issue and phoebe had had time to do a little lonely unpursued thinking he had been entirely too clever to arouse her pride against him by a suspicion of neglect in his attitude his usual attentions were all offered and a new one or two contrived he sent f to report to her with his electric every afternoon she understood that he was unable by the exigencies of the case to come himself to take her to keep her appointments as was his custom her flowers were just as thoughtfully selected and sent with the gayest little notes as like as possible to the ones that had been coming to her for years he ordered in an unusually large basket of eggs from the farm 
and managed to find a complicated arrangement of rope and pulleys, the manipulation of which for an hour or more daily was warranted to add to or detract from the stature of man or woman, according to the desire of the dissatisfied individual. His note with the instrument was a scintillating skit, and was answered in kind. But through it all Phoebe was undoubtedly lonely. This call, the second since Saturday, and the second in the history of their joint existences, betrayed her to the now wily David more than she realized, perhaps. He took down the receiver and got the connection. That you, dear? David managed a casual voice with difficulty. Yes, David. Came in a voice that fairly radiated across the city. I only wanted to ask how it goes. Fine. With a rip. But you never can tell. About anything. I'm a Presbyterian and I'll die in doubt of my election. I'm learning not to count on things. His voice carried a mournful note that utterly belied his radiant face. David was enjoying himself to almost the mortal limit. David? There was a perceptible pause. You... There is one thing you can always count on, isn't there? Me? The voice was very gallant, but also slightly palpitating. David almost lost his head, but hung on tight and came up right side. Some, he answered, which reply, in the light of an extremely modern use of the word combined with the legitimate, was calculated to bring conclusion. Then he hurried off another offering onto the wire. How long are you going to be at home? He asked, another dastardly tantalization. I, I don't know exactly. She parried quickly. Why? And this from Phoebe, who had always granted interviews like a queen gives jewels. David somewhere found the courage to lay a firm hand on himself. With just a few more blows, the citadel was his. His own heart writhed, and the uncertainty made him quake internally. I wish I could come over, but there are two committees waiting in the other room for me. Do you? A clash and buzz hummed over the wire into the receiver. There was a jangle and tangle, and a rough man's voice cut in with, Working on the wires, hang up, please. And David limply hung up the receiver and collapsed in solitude, for his committees had been evoked out of thin air. His state of mind was positively abject. His years-old tenderness welled up in his heart and flooded to his eyes, the dash and the pluck of her. He reached for his hat, then hesitated. It was election eve, and in two hours he was due to address the congregation of griddle-cake discontents on how to make men vote like ladies. A call-boy hurried in by way of a fortunate distraction, and handed him a budget of papers. David spread them out before him. They were from Susie Carey of the Strong Brush and the Civic Improvement League, containing sketches and specifications for the drinking fountains already pledged and a request for an early institution of legislation on the playground proposition. Such a small thing as an uncertain election failed to daunt the artistic fervor of Susie Carey's fertile brain, or to deter her from making demands, however premature, on David the sympathetic. And David Kildare dropped his head on the papers and groaned. The vision of a life-work rose up and menaced him, and the words sweat of his brow for the first time took on a concrete meaning. Such a good old carefree existence he was losing, and he seized his hat and fled to the refreshment of bath, food, and fresh raiment. And on his way home he stopped in for a word with the major, 
whom he found tired and on his way to take as much as he could of his usual nap he was seated in his chair by the table and caroline dara sat near him listening eagerly to his story of some of the events in the day's campaign she rose as david entered and held out her hand to him with a smile every time david had looked at caroline dara for the few days past a sharp pain had cut into his heart and this afternoon she was so radiantly lovely with sympathy and interest that for a moment he stood looking at her with his eyes full of tenderness then he managed a bantering smile and backed away a step or two from her his hands behind him no you don't beautiful david sometimes ventured on phoebe's name for the girl you are so sweet in that frock that i'm afraid if i touch you i'll stick somebody ought to label such a lollipop as you dangerous call her off major the major laughed at caroline's blush and laid his fingers over her hand that rested on the corner of the table near him david he said girls are confections to which it is good for a man to forsake all others and cling but not to gobble matilda recount to david kildare your plans for the night of the election i wish to witness his joy oh yes i've been wanting to tell you about it for two days david dear answered mrs buchanan from her chair over by the window where she was busily engaged in checking names off a long list with a pencil we are going to have a reception at the university club so everybody can come and congratulate you the night of the election mrs shelby and i thought it up and of course we had to speak to one of the house committee about the arrangements and who do you think the member was billy bob i just talked on and didn't notice mrs shelby and finally he was so nice and deferential to her that she talked some too she almost started to shake hands with him when we left i was so glad i feel that it is going to be a delightful success in every way please be thinking up a nice speech to make <sighs> oh wait groaned david kildare if i begin now i will have to think double one for election and one for defeat last night i dreamed about a black cat that was minus a left eye and limped in the right hind leg jeff almost cried when i told him about it he hasn't smiled since i told tempy to put less pepper in those chicken croquettes last night i saw phoebe's light burning until two o'clock and heard her and caroline laughing and talking even after that the major was so nervous that he was up and dressed at six o'clock i must see that all of you get simpler food your nerves will suffer major suppose you don't eat much dinner just have a little milk toast i'll see tempy about it now and mrs buchanan departed after bestowing a glance in which was a conviction of dyspepsia upon all three of them now david kildare see what you've done with your black cat crawlings i'll have to eat that toast uh, see if i don't i've consumed it with a smile during stated period for thirty years yes girl love is a kind of cup custard but wife love is bread and butter milk toast for instance bless her but i'm hungry the major's expression was a tragedy i'm going to try and beg you off major dear said caroline dara and she hurried after mrs matilda into tempy's domain major said david as he gazed after the girl when i look at her 
I feel cold all over, then hot mad. He's going tomorrow night on the midnight train, and she doesn't know. I can't even talk to him about it. He looks like a dead man and works like a demon. I don't know what to do. David, said the Major slowly, as he pressed the tips of his long, lean fingers together and regarded them intently. How love, tender, wise love, love that is fed on heart's blood and lives by soul breath, can go deaf, blind, dumb, halt, broken-winged, idiotic and mortally cruel, is more than I can see. God Almighty comfort him when he finds what he has done. And if she does find out, she won't understand, exclaimed David. No, answered the Major. She doesn't even suspect anything. She thinks it is the press of his work that keeps him away from her. The child carries about with her that aura of transport that only an acknowledgment from a lover can give a woman. I had hoped that he had seen some way. I couldn't ask. I wonder— Yes, Major, interrupted David quickly, and he winced as he spoke. It happened on the hunt Saturday evening. They climbed the bluff and watched the hunt from a distance, and I saw how it was the minute they came back to the campfire. I saw it, and I was just jolly happy over it, even to the tune of Phoebe's sulks. I thought it was all right, and I wish you could have seen him. His head was up, and his eyes danced, and he gave up almost the first real laugh I ever heard from him when I teased her about getting lost. As I looked at him, I thought about the other. You're glad, Andrew, Major. And I was happy all in a shot for you, because I thought you were going to get back something of what you'd lost. It all seemed so good. There's been joy in the boy's eyes, joy and sorrow waging a war for weeks. David and I have had to sit by and watch powerless to help him. Yes, his very father himself has looked out of his eyes at me for moments, and I, well, I had hoped. Are you sure he is going? As the Major asked the question, his brows knotted themselves together as if to hide the pain in his eyes. Yes, he's going, and he catches the next tramp steamer for Panama from Savannah. I wish she would suspect something and force it from him. It's strange she doesn't, answered David despondently. Carolyn Dara belongs to the order of humble women whose love feeds on a glance and can be sustained on a crumb. Another class demands a banquet full spread and always ready. You'll be careful, boy. Don't. Don't diet Phoebe too long. The Major eyed David anxiously across the light. Heavens, I'm your reconcentrato. Major, I feel as if I've been shut up, down cellar in the cold, without the breath of life for a year. It's only three days and thirteen hours and a half, but I'm all in. I go dead without her. Believe I'll telephone her now. And David reached for the receiver that stood on the Major's table. Now, David, said the Major, restraining his eager hand and smiling through his sadness. Don't try to gather your grapes over the phone. I judge they are ripe, but they still hang high. They always will. Oh, look at the clock. David took one look at the staid old mahogany timepiece, which the Major had had brought in from Seven Oaks and placed in the corner opposite his table, and took his departure. After he had gone, the Major retired to his room to lie down for as much of his allotted rest as he could obtain. 
seeing him safely settled mrs buchanan went over for a short visit with mrs shelby next door mrs matilda stuck to the irate grandmother through thick and thin and in her affectionate heart she had hopes of bringing about the much to be desired reconciliation she was the only person in the city who dared mention milly or the babies to the old lady and even in her unsophistication she suspected that the details she supplied with determined intrepidity fed a hunger in the lonely old heart her pilgrimage next door was a daily one and never neglected thus left alone caroline dara was partaking of a solitary cup of tea which was being served her by tempe in all the gorgeousness of a new white lace trimmed and beruffled apron which caroline had made for her as near as possible like the dainty garments affected by the french shop-clad annette who was tempe's special ally and admirer when mrs cherry lawrence in full regalia descended upon her tempe walled her black eyes and departed with dignity for an extra cup the major was fast asleep david kildare in the process of bath and toilet phoebe at her desk downtown and mrs matilda away on her mission and thus it happened that nobody was near to fend the blight from the flower of their anxious cherishing yes indeed it is a time of anxiety mrs cherry agreed with caroline as she crushed the lemon in her tea i shall be glad when it is over i feel that we all are making the utmost sacrifices for this election of david kildare's and he's such a boy that he probably will make a perfectly impossible judge he never takes anything seriously enough to accomplish much it's well for him that no one expects anything from him oh but i'm sure he's taking this seriously exclaimed caroline dara with a little gleam of dismay in her eyes his race has been an exceptional one whether he wins or not the major says so and the other day mr sevier told me at the mention of andrew sevier's name mrs cherry glanced around and an ugly little gleam came into her eyes oh of course andrew sevier is too loyal to admit any criticism of david to a stranger she said with a slight emphasis on the word and a cold glance at caroline dara but he wasn't talking to a stranger he was talking just to me said caroline quickly not even seeing the dart aimed you are so sweet dear purred mrs cherry under the circumstances it is so gracious of you not to feel yourself a stranger with us all and especially with andrew sevier of course it would have been impossible for him always to have avoided you and it was just like his generosity miss caroline honey came in a decided voice from the doorway that custard you is a-makin for the major's supper is actin curissome round the ages please ma'am come and see to it a minute oh excuse me just a second exclaimed caroline dara to mrs cherry as she rose with alarm in her housewifely heart and hurried past tempe down the hall an instinct engendered by her love for caroline dara had led tempe to notice and resent something in mrs lawrence's manner to the child on several previous occasions and to-day she had felt no scruples about remaining behind the curtains well within earshot of the conversations her knowledge of and participation in the buchanan family affairs past and present and future was an inheritance of several generations and she never hesitated to assert her privileges lady 
she said in a cool soft voice as she squared herself in the doorway and looked mrs lawrence directly in the face you is a rich white woman and i's a poor nigger but if you had er succeeded in a putting that there devil's tail into my young mistress's head they would er been that twixt you and me that we never could er forgot and there wouldn't a been more than a rag left of that dead husband-bought frock what you've got on now for i forgets myself i axes you out the front door and i'm a forgettin fast and as she faced the domineering woman in the trappings of fashion all the humble blood in the negro's veins which had come down to her from the four women who had cradled on their black breasts the mothers of such as caroline dara was turned into the jungle passion for defence of this slight white thing that was the child of her heart if not of her body the danger of it made mrs lawrence fairly quail and white with fright she gathered her rich furs about her and fled just as caroline dara's returning footsteps were heard in the hall why where did mrs lawrence go tempy she demanded in astonishment tempy had just the moment in which to rally herself but she had accomplished the feat though her eyes still rolled ominously she remembered something what she forgot and had to hurry she left excuses for you and tempy busied herself with the cups and tray she was beginning to say something queer to me tempy when you came in it was about mr sevier and i didn't understand i almost felt that she was being disagreeable to me and it frightened me about him i la i specs you is mistook child and if it war anything she just wants him herself and was a layin out ter tell you some inflirtment she'd been a trying ter have with him don't pay no tention to it by this time she had regained her composure and was able to reassure caroline with her usual positiveness to which she added an amount of worldly tact in substituting a highly disturbing thought in place of the dangerous one do you really think she can be in love with with him tempy demanded caroline dara wide-eyed with astonishment she was entirely diverted from any desire to follow out or weigh mrs lawrence's remark to her by the wiliness of the experienced tempy there ain't no tellin what widder woman out for number twos will do answered tempy sagely now you run and let miss annette put that blue frock on you for dinner in times of disturbance like these here women oughter fix they selves up so as to tice the men ter eat a little at meal times ain't i done put on this white apron to try and get that no count jefferson just to take notice a little of his vittles now go on honey it's late and thus the love of the old negro had taken away the only chance given caroline dara to learn the facts of the grim story from the knowledge of which she might have worked out salvation for her lover and herself an hour later as they were being served the soup by the absorbed and inattentive jeff mrs matilda laid down her spoon and said to caroline anxiously i wish phoebe had come out to-night i asked her but she said she was too busy she looked tired do you suppose she could be ill yes answered the major dryly i feel sure that phoebe is ill she is at present i should judge suffering with a malady which she has had for some time but which is about to reach the acute stage it needs judicious ignoring so let's not mention it to her for the present 
I understand what you mean, Major, answered his wife with delighted eyes. And I won't say a word about it. It will be such a help to David to have a wife when he is the judge. How long will it be before he can be the governor, dear? That depends on the wife, Mrs. Buchanan, to a large extent, answered the Major with a delighted smile. Oh, Phoebe will want him to do things, said Mrs. Matilda positively. No doubt of that, the Major replied. I see David Kildare slated for the full life from now on. Eh, Caroline? And the Major had judged Phoebe's situation perhaps more rightly than he realized, for while David led the voter director's rally at the theater and was later closeted with Andrew for hours over the last editorial appearing in the morning journal, Phoebe sat before her desk in her own little downtown home. Mammy Kitty was snoring away like a peaceful watchdog on her cot in the dressing room, and the whole apartment was dark save for the shaded desk light. The time and place were fitting, and Phoebe was summoning her visions and facing her realities. Down the years came sauntering the nonchalant figure of David Kildare. He had asked her to marry him that awful, lonely sixteenth birthday, and he had asked her the same thing every year of all the succeeding ten, and a number of times in between. Phoebe squared herself to her reviewing self and admitted that she had cared for him then and ever since, cared for him, but had starved his tenderness, and in the lover had left unsought the man. But she was clear-sighted enough to know that the handsome, easy-going boy, who had wooed with a smile and taken rebuff with a laugh, was not the steady-eyed, forceful man who now faced her. He stood at the door of a life that stretched away into long vistas, and now he would demand. Phoebe bowed her head on her hands. Suppose he should not demand. And so in the watches of the night the siege was raised, and Phoebe, the dauntless, brilliant, arrogant Phoebe, had capitulated. No lovelorn woman of the ages ever palpitated more thoroughly at the thought of her lover than did she, as she kept vigil with David across the city. But there were the articles of capitulation yet to be signed, and the ceremony of surrender to come. End of chapter 10